All right. <laughs> now on to the most cancelable one tonight. No. Healing and Miracles. So Healing and Miracles is the fourth session. Is that right? Are we, yeah. We're doing terrible on time, but don't look at that. Um, oh. It's all right. We don't really need to. Yeah. So for this one, I would like to start kind of how we did with defining the gifts. And I want to take a look at these various verses first, and then we'll unpack the conversation as we go. Instead of kind of taking the verses, I want you kind of all to see them on the front end and kind of have them in your mind as we're talking about it. So uh, if someone wants to pull up, I know it's just a lot of redundancy here, but if someone wants to pull up and read 1 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10, if someone wants to turn to Ephesians 2, 20, Ephesians 3, 5, Hebrews 2, 3, or to John chapter 3. To another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing, by the one spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. Thanks. Yeah. Ephesians uh, 2.20. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Yeah. And then uh, chapter 3, verse 5 of Ephesians. The mystery of Christ, of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed in his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Awesome. Hebrews uh, chapter 2, verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect such great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. Right. And then uh, John chapter 3 uh, is the interaction with Nicodemus. So I'll ask you to read from verse 1 all the way down to verse 15. Can Taylor read verse 4 for that real quick? Sorry, yeah, I could have missed it, cut up a verse off. Yeah. Well, God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various <coughs> miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Yeah. Cool. And then John 3, verse 1 through verse 15. Awesome. Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes 
Thanks. So as we're approaching the topic broadly of, of healings and miracles, we've, it's probably important to note on the front end, we've only looked at New Testament texts that deal with this topic. If you were to do a survey of Old Testament healings and miracles, uh, there'd be way too many texts to read. And they, by and large, all occur within the same era of history. So you have, first and foremost, the miracles given to Moses when Moses is at the burning bush and he's saying, how is Pharaoh going to believe me, God, when I go to him and tell him to let, let your people go? You remember what God does is he says, take your staff, throw it down. Now it's a snake. He gives him the sign of leprosy. And then he says, I will be with you. And then he does even more signs for Moses to show Moses and to validate to Pharaoh that Moses is not just some random guy making stuff up. Moses speaks with power and the signs attest to Moses' power. If you look then, it, it kind of like stops with Moses. We don't see that from Joshua. We don't see that from any of the judges. And then really up until the time of Elijah and Elisha, those sign gifts are gone. And then Elijah and Elisha show up to testify to the people that don't follow Baal, follow Yahweh. And they come not as random hobos off the street, they come with signs and wonders and they do miraculous works. The, the, the pinnacle of that being Elijah versus the prophets of Baal, where he's able to call down something miraculous and uh, the prophets of Baal can't, can literally do nothing. And it's very analogous to Moses swearing off with Pharaoh's uh, sorcerers and magicians and where God's power supersedes the power of the false god. And so those, but those happen in distinct redemptive points in history. And then when we get to the New Testament, you have to remember the entire New Testament is by and large happening in this like 70 year span of time. So it's unfair of us to say that because we see miracles happening in Jesus' ministry, miracles happening in the book of Acts, miracles attested to elsewhere in scripture, that this must just be some normative pattern that we see throughout the rest of the age of the church. Even in the age of Israel, the miraculous was really only through two distinct kind of moments in Israel's history. And by and large, besides that, we don't hear anything about it. And the same is true in the gospels and uh, in the book of Acts. And so we have to ask the question, just like we asked with um, the gift of tongues, what is the purpose of healing and miracles? Now, I, I said again, right, the, the broad definition for all the gifts is the edification of the body, the edification of the church. So we can ask the question, how do healing and miracles edify the church? What purpose do they serve to that end? And I think that will help us to understand a lot of what is being attested to here in the New Testament as well. So healings and miracles, the, the primary function they serve is not the actual person being healed, or the actual miraculous sign being done. If that was the case, then Jesus' ministry is not with his teaching, it's with his signs and wonders. But we know that his signs and wonders almost serve as a handmaiden to his teaching ministry. Jesus comes with signs and wonders and then springs off of those signs and wonders and teaches. And the bulk of his ministry is teaching. So then the question is, what do the healing and miracles do for Jesus' ministry? They validate that he is indeed a messenger sent from God. In the same way that Moses, he, he gets a, a command from God, and the way to validate that command is with the miraculous that he does. In the same way that Elijah and Elisha, when they're commissioned by God, they have the miraculous that's almost a stamp of approval from Yahweh. These are my messengers. Same thing with Jesus. It's most clear when we look at John chapter 3 in that uh, very early section. Nicodemus, Pharisee, very perplexed by what's going on, he says this. He comes in by night, he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. How does he know? For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So Nicodemus' conclusion, Jesus is teaching one thing, the Pharisees are teaching another thing. 
who do I trust? Who do I listen to? The Pharisees don't do signs and wonders. Jesus does them at will. And Yahweh, in his Old Testament text, has sealed his prophets, sealed his messengers with these gifts, these signs and wonders. So for Nicodemus, it's not, do I believe Jesus' theology or do I believe the theology of the Pharisees? For him, the, the thing that moves the needle and causes so much of a trouble within him is the fact that Jesus can do things, miracles and signs that the Pharisees can't do. And for Nicodemus, that's enough where he says, I just have to know, are you really from God? And then he, and then you'll notice he sits there and listens to this in, almost insane teaching about being born again. He sits through all of that, not because he thinks that this is logical teaching. He's so confused by it, but because Jesus is so stamped with the signs that Nicodemus can't deny the teaching that's coming out of his mouth because he knows that if Jesus was speaking falsely, he would not be accompanied by signs and wonders. So that's uh, the purpose that healing and miracles serve in Jesus' ministry is to affirm then the message that follows. It's the exact same thing that it does for the church. When the apostles and the prophets and the prophets are on the scene during the time that 1 Corinthians is written, during the time of Ephesians, and really the last thing that we see is uh, in the book of Hebrews, chronologically, that's the last one that we look at. 1 Corinthians, Paul is saying, prophets have been given to the church. God gives to the church prophets. Uh, but God also gives to the church people with healings. He gives them uh, people with the ability to do the miraculous. And he, but he doesn't explain necessarily what that serves for edification. But in Ephesians, it becomes clear because in Ephesians, the argument is the whole church, the doctrine of the church, what we believe and what we teach is built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets. And that foundation, as Hebrews clarifies for us, how do we know if someone's an apostle? How do we know if they're a prophet? they come teaching and also with signs and wonders that attest to the fact that they're teachers from God. So how does healing and miracles edify the church? What purpose does it serve? It serves to validate the teachers that came in that first, in that first age of church history. But once that doctrine is established, as, as, as it says in Ephesians, once that foundation is laid, for those of you who build houses, you know you don't lay hundreds of foundations to build a house. You lay one foundation, and then after you've laid the foundation, you then build on that foundation. So if the foundation had indeed been laid, as it says in Ephesians, then we're not to expect wet concrete for the rest of church history, because that implies that the foundation is still being laid. So the foundation is laid by the apostles, by the prophets, and their teaching is validated not by anything other than healing and miracles. And that's how you know, is this person from God or not? And once their teaching is recorded and written down, now we evaluate their teaching. Is it in line with the teaching of those first century apostles and prophets? So today we don't need healing and miracles for the edification of the church because we already have the teaching of those, that foundation is already recorded for us in their written words. And so it wouldn't make sense for us to expect an ongoing laying of the foundation in the same way that Israel would have been uh, would have been wrong to say that because Moses did miracles, we're not accepting any other leader unless they do miracles too. Because after Moses is Joshua, he doesn't do anything miraculous. You know, he, he prays one time, God, God does that uh, stoppage uh, in time. That's it. Moses is doing miraculous stuff all the time. Joshua has one thing and that's it for his, his uh, ministry. And, but he's nevertheless accepted as a great leader in Israel's history. David doesn't do one miraculous thing in his ministry. And yet he's accepted as a leader by the people. Why? Because David teaches the same thing Moses taught. David takes the people back to what Moses established for them. And then in the next era, when they're calling the people back to faithfulness to God, you have Elijah and Elisha who lay the foundation for the rest of the prophets that follow them. And those prophets 
teach what Elijah and Elisha taught, which is once again faithfulness to Yahweh. And Elijah and Elisha were confirmed by God with signs and wonders. And so it is too in the New Testament when you get that new teaching, that almost strange teaching, confirmed with the signs. And then after the signs have confirmed these teachers and their teachings are recorded and, and understood, then those, they, they kind of fall off the scene. So that's, that's one way in which uh, healings and miracles edify the body. It's not primarily in the person who's healed or in the, in the miraculous itself. It's in the fact that the miraculous confirms the doctrine that is taught. Now, we can do the same thing, though, with the miraculous that we did with looking at tongues, which is if we say that the miraculous doesn't do any of that, the healing doesn't do any of that, does the healing and miraculous that we see today match the biblical equivalent for what is stated? So if you look in scripture, all of the healings that Jesus does are instantaneous, obvious, and confirmable. We know this because in John, when Jesus makes that man uh, born blind and makes him to see, they take his parents, they, they, they analyze evidence, they bring eyewitnesses, and they're able to confirm that this is the guy. It's able to be validated. It's not hearsay and speculation. And it's instantaneous, and it's at the will of Jesus. You see the same thing when he takes the, the man with the leprous hand, he tells him to extend his hand. In the presence of all people, this hand just kind of regrows healthy. And no one can deny that that has now happened, right? So all of the miraculous and healing that takes place in the New Testament has this undeniable quality to it. A dead person who was dead for multiple days coming out of the grave. That's not often what we see today with more like a psychosomatic healing. Because today what we often see is a, a healing that wouldn't be obvious. You couldn't confirm or deny it. It's generalized pain. And someone have a whole campaign where all they're doing is healing back pain the whole time, which you can't test or validate or, or verify. And they'll make lots of claims on the basis of the fact that this thing that you can't verify is proof that they're now a modern apostle and they come with new revelation and new teaching. And I think that's very obvious. It should be obvious to us that this is just not what scripture tells us with healing and miracles. Moreover, as I said earlier, healing and miracles has already for the church age served its purpose. It's already established the doctrine, as is said in the Westminster Confession, that previous source of revelation has now ceased. And so we're not to expect modern healers, modern miracle workers to come on the scene and do things like that for us. Because if that happened, if someone comes on the scene and they can do the signs and wonders that Jesus does to that same effect, if Jesus' signs and wonders are validating, as Nicodemus says here, whatever that person says is also scripturized. It's also doctrine on that same level. So unlike tongues where I say it, it, it's just not something we see today, but we're open to it if, if it comes back into play, healing and miracles, because of the weight that it carries, because of the, the doctrinal significance that's carried, I, I would contest that of necessity, healing and miracles have ceased to function in the church because we have the completion of the canon. If we are open to healing and miracles still happening, we have to say that whoever comes with those healing and miracles, we're also open to them teaching us whatever they want to teach us. And because we say, no, we have the full revelation of God, we, we are necessity, necessarily saying we're not open to this anymore. So I think understanding the purpose of the, of the healing and the miraculous in both the Old and New Testament helps us to understand why it is the case that we don't see that today. And if you were to even look throughout all of church history, it seems that the healing and the miraculous kind of goes on and then it peters out and then it's silent for like 1300 years and then it shows back up on the scene at the time 
just about in the 1930s. Uh, and so between that and all of the rest of church history, you really don't see the miraculous happening. The only other time you see it, and if you look at church history, you can, you can test this as well. You see the miraculous happening when the, the bishops of the church are trying to introduce new doctrine and new teaching to the church that wasn't there previously, such as Mary being sinless. Then all of a sudden someone has now seen the Virgin Mary in the flesh and they've been miraculously healed or they have a sign of a crucifix. And now they can say that, you know, we know that scripture doesn't say anything about this, but I have a sign and a wonder done and I attest to this and then that's now confirmed. So even the church understands the significance of healing and, and the miraculous. And so they know that. And so anytime a new doctrine like that is introduced, all of a sudden the miraculous begins to occur to confirm that kind of doctrine and teaching. So as you look at church history, that's always the case. So those who did participate in the Reformation, the, the Protestant reformers, they were uh, very much staunch on this point that whatever is attested to in Rome to confirm teachings not found in scripture are, are fabrications of healings. There are things that cannot be validated. There are things that are all hearsay. And we already have the full teaching of God. We're not waiting for ongoing revelation from the Pope or from anybody else. And so of necessity, they said these gifts ceased because scripture is sufficient for the revelation of the church. So that was the argument made during the Reformation. Uh, that's the argument I would agree with as well. And I think it holds uh, true even for us today.